friends, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join in our call to worship. Where crooked roads need straightening, prepare the way of the Lord. Where people walk in darkness, prepare the way of the Lord. Where busy lives need quieting, prepare the way of the Lord. Where conflict longs for reconciling, prepare the way of the Lord. Where broken hearts cry out for healing, prepare the way of the Lord. Where prophets' voices need to be heard, prepare the way of the Lord. To all of the earth and to all of your people, O come, O come, Emmanuel. prepare the way of the Christ child. In the weeks leading up to this day, we have lit the candle of hope, the candle of peace, and the candle of joy. Now we light the final candle in the name of the one who is coming to bring us love. Love is holy. Love, love incarnate, is worth all this waiting. For love is what breathes us into being. Love quiets our fears and comforts our hearts. Love makes a home wherever we are. It never gives up and never lets go. Love never fails us. We light this candle because love is God's dream for us and because love gives us the courage to dream for one another.
join me in our Advent prayer. Gracious God, as we wait for you this Advent season, we walk through this life you have given us. We walk in the wilderness searching for meaning. Catch our attention with mercy and with fire. We walk in this city thirsting for justice. Fill us with integrity and hope. We walk towards Bethlehem seeking a savior. Come to us with holiness and joy. As we wait for you this Advent season, prepare our hearts so we will notice when you are among us. Beloved, God accepts you for who you are. God welcomes you just as you are. God meets you where you're at in this moment. God named you, God loves you, and you are made in God's image, and so is the person beside you. The true light is coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so just as Christ shared words of peace with the people around him, let us do the same. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Please share the peace.
friends, welcome once again to worship on this Lord's Day, on this fourth Sunday of Advent. It is always good to be together. It is especially good somehow when we are creeping ever closer to Christmas. Whether you are a first-time visitor or a long-time member, we're glad that you are here. Your presence among us makes us better. If you all have not had a chance to do so yet but are seated near the ends of the pews and have access to those maroon pew pads, if you would sign your name and pass it on down to others. As you take a look inside, if there are names that are not familiar to you, I invite you, encourage you to introduce yourself before you leave today so that everyone might feel at home and comfortable here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. As you are doing that, just a few announcement reminders for you, and they all have to do with our upcoming holidays. Our Christmas Eve services are soon upon us. Christmas Eve family service will be at 5 o'clock, and our candlelight communion service will be at 10.30. Do note that our prelude will begin at 10.15 for that service. If you are among those that are helping to lead our family service, so particularly any of our young people or our young people's parents, a reminder that we are rehearsing that service right after worship concludes today. We'll begin in the parish hall uh, where we are feeding you for all of your efforts, and then we'll come up here and rehearsal will begin in this space at 1 o'clock. So if you are helping with that, we would love to have you join us so that we might get all of the stable animals in the stable in the right order when the time is right. Uh, lastly, um, and I should mention that on Christmas Day, we have our service of lessons and carols at 11.15. And then the following Sunday, just because we're keeping you on your toes, we have one worship service at 10.30. That is on Sunday, December 29th. And once we get into January, we go back to our regular schedule of 9 and 11.15. All of that is available on the website, and we will keep reminding you. Um, one extra announcement, you will find in your bulletin the Christmas Joy Envelopes. That offering is a special offering of our Presbyterian Church USA denomination. All of the offerings that are collected provide assistance to current and retired church workers and help to develop future leaders at Presbyterian-related schools with particular attention to equipping communities of color. If you would like to participate in that, simply place your offering in the envelope and place that envelope in the offering plate as it comes around. With so much on our minds, it is important to remember what gathers us here in the first place. And so now we turn our attention to the word of God. Our Old Testament lesson today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. First, however, let us pray together. Gracious God, as Christmas draws ever nearer, we are mindful of all that remains to be done. Help us, then, to set the, all that is aside just in this hour, that we might hear the truth of this season as only you can tell it. Our hearts are yours, and we are eager to hear your word. Amen. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. 
Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. join me here at the font. I am so glad you are all here. Kathy, you want to come out a little bit to let Fred move in? Thanks. Hi, come on over. Can you see Patrick? All right. So someone read for me the name of the hymn we sang at the beginning of church today. What is that? 
O come, O come, Emmanuel. Who can tell me what Emmanuel means? Does anyone remember what Emmanuel means? It means God with us, or with us, God. So Mr. Glockfelty just read a part of the Bible from the prophet Isaiah that uses this word, Emmanuel. Isaiah promises King Ahaz, who was the king in Jerusalem, that even though things looked really bad because there was a war going on, there was still hope. God gave King Ahaz a sign of hope, saying, A young woman is going to have a baby, and that baby's name will be Emmanuel, God with us. So God was promising Ahaz that no matter what happened, God was not going to abandon God's people. God would still be with them. Now in a couple minutes, whether you stay in here or whether you go out for children's worship, you're going to hear another story that talks about Emmanuel. This one is about the angel coming to Joseph in a dream, saying that the baby that Mary is going to have is... Emmanuel, God with us. So what other name do we call that baby besides Emmanuel? No, who was Mary's baby? Jesus, that's right. God sent Jesus so God could be with us for a while as a human being. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. Is God still with us? Yeah. Jesus is still Emmanuel, even though he's not right here sitting or standing with us as a person. How is God with us now? How is God Emmanuel now? How is Jesus still with us? In our hearts, right? Through the Holy Spirit, right? God will always be Emmanuel because Jesus will always be in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. If you all and everybody here will say after me, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus, our Emmanuel. Thank you for being with us, even now and always. Amen. So you can either go out for children's worship, or you can go sit back with your parents. gospel lesson today comes from the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, 
planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Tradition is a funny thing. On the one hand, tradition is what makes us who we are. We are here today in part because tradition tells us to be. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord Come into God's presence with singing. And we have been lighting Advent candles all these four weeks because tradition tells us to. The first Advent wreath appeared in Germany in 1839. A Lutheran minister working at a mission for children created a wreath out of the wheel of a cart. And he placed 20 small red candles and four large white candles inside the ring. The red candles were lit on weekdays and the white candles on Sundays. He adapted this from a Scandinavian practice that helped citizens remember that the long winter nights would come to an end, that the light would return. We use evergreens and liturgical colors now, but the purpose is still the same, to remind ourselves that the light will return. Now on Christmas Eve at the family service, the first carol we sing is O Come All Ye Faithful. And for the candlelight communion service, the first carol is Once in Royal David City. Now there may well be good reason for why this has become our habit, but we keep doing it because it's the way we've been doing it. And Beverly said to me the other day, I didn't tell her I was including this, by the way. Beverly said to me the other day, it wouldn't be Christmas if we didn't sing Once in Royal David City first. So I wonder what traditions you and your families have. I wonder which of those traditions you love and which of those traditions you endure. You're thinking about that right now, aren't you? The things that you love and the things you endure for the sake of love. That's the thing about tradition. The healthiest and holiest traditions are always rooted in a sense of deep and abiding love. Sometimes we forget that. Or sometimes I forget that. My first Christmas on my own, that is, the first Christmas I was working for a church, 
which meant the first Christmas I wasn't in Michigan with my family, my roommate and I decided we would have our very own merry little Christmas. We got ourselves a tree and we even wrestled it into the stand. And then there was a disagreement. You see, I grew up with all manner of colored lights all over the tree. You already know where this is headed. <laughs> My roommate grew up with white lights in carefully placed rows all over the tree. We both had a very clear vision of how it was supposed to be. It's just that those visions didn't line up. I'm not going to tell you who won that argument, except to say it wasn't me. In any case, that sort of situation, on even greater levels, that sort of situation is why we need Joseph at Christmas. It's tempting to think that we don't. After all, he has exactly no lines. He is not the part that anyone gets excited about playing in the pageant. He basically stands there. My friend Emily, she has a five-year-old daughter, Clara. They are teaching her the Christmas story using a fairly basic nativity set. The first time they assembled it this year, Emily asked Clara to name each of the characters. Now keep in mind, Clara is a preacher's kid who has been in church school before she actually knew what church school was. And so she named Mary and Jesus. She knew the shepherds and the wise men, and she identified the animals and the angels. But when Emily pointed to Joseph, Clara was stumped. Eventually she guessed, is that the barn boy? Poor Joseph. But we really do need him, especially this time of year, especially when we are steeped in so much tradition. Because tradition is a good thing. It makes us who we are. And sometimes tradition can also be our undoing. The more I think about it, I think that Joseph is able to teach us about tradition, both its value and its cost, better than anyone else in all of Scripture. His life starts out in an extremely traditional way. He was born and raised in Bethlehem, a small town outside of Jerusalem. At some point, his family moved 90 miles north to Nazareth. He was a carpenter, though we don't actually learn that until much later in Matthew's Gospel, when someone incredulously asks about Jesus, is that really the carpenter's son? Presumably, Joseph's father was a carpenter, too, as trades were handed down the family line. He came from a distinguished family, from the house of David, and he himself was distinguished enough to be betrothed, to be engaged to Mary. All of which is well and good until it isn't. Because, as Matthew so delicately puts it, 
Before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And then we hear, but her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. Now to fully appreciate Joseph's story, we have to remember that he lived not only in a different time, but in a different culture. Now, not everything has changed about the way women are treated, but many things have changed. In the ancient world, pregnancy outside of marriage brought shame and dishonor to the mother-to-be, the father-to-be, and to their entire families. In some cases, even today, this is still true, but not always. The thing to remember here, though, is that Joseph, like all of us, like every other human being in human history, is a product of the time and culture in which he lives. And he knows two things. One is that Mary is pregnant. And the second is that it's not his. I suspect that is why Matthew is so quick to remind us that Joseph is righteous. What that means in biblical talk is that he is extremely well-schooled in the religious tradition of his time. And that tradition taught that if a woman is accused of adultery, the matter is brought before the town elders. If it is shown that her husband is lying, the husband is charged a fee of 100 silver shekels. But if it's shown that the charge is true, the woman is taken to the door of her father's home, and the men of the village stone her to death. In so doing, the tradition states, you purge the evil from your midst. That is one definition of righteousness, the purging of evil in order to pursue the good. So Joseph could have put Mary to death. Tradition allowed for it. But he was unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, and he planned to dismiss her quietly. This does mean that Mary would escape with her life. But I have to wonder what sort of life she would be left. Pregnancy can only be hidden for so long. She would be on her own, shamed and dishonored for being alone, and further shamed and dishonored for being a single mother. Once again, many things have changed, but not everything. Odds are good that in that time, in that culture, she and her child would not survive long, or even if they did, that survival would be painful and perilous. A decision like that, though, could save Joseph. He would be able to slip away quietly. Now, if Joseph had done this, we probably would never have heard the story of Jesus, at least certainly not the way it comes to us today. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? We remember how Mary says yes. 
How often do we remember that Joseph has to say yes, too? We aren't told very much of how his yes comes to be. Only that he has a dream, an enormous, life-changing dream, in which an angel visits him and says, Don't be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. She's going to have a child, a child conceived by the Holy Spirit, but you will be the one to name him. You will be the one to call him Jesus. For those of you who are keeping track, a traditional Christmas for the Holy Family went out the window a good while ago. The vision of what their family life was supposed to be and the vision of what is now in front of Joseph, those visions do not line up at all. The angel seems remarkably unconcerned by this. The angel simply says, she's going to have a baby, Joseph, and please, would you raise it as your own? You see, in those days, to name a child was to lay claim to that child's heritage and lineage. In other words, as one preacher puts it, Joseph is being asked to be willing to believe in the impossible, to claim the scandal, to adopt it and give it his name, to not only accept the whole situation, but to rock it tenderly to sleep in his arms. Joseph is a righteous man. No matter what choice he makes, he will still be righteous. But the angel is asking him to choose what scholars describe as a higher righteousness. That sort of righteousness, it is hard to come by because it's not righteousness that focuses on the law. It's not clear in that regard. It's righteousness that focuses on the bigger picture, and it always leans toward love and toward the well-being of others. This higher righteousness pays attention to the consequences, the sometimes unrighteous consequences that come from our efforts to be righteous. It doesn't ask, what does the law allow me to do? It asks, What does love compel me to do? What will bring the most light and the most life into this situation? It is with all of this swirling in his mind and in his dreams that Joseph has to make his decision. He has to balance tradition and law on the one side and an angel of the Lord seemingly on the other. He has to think about how much one person can handle and what integrity means and what the bounds of commitment really are to say nothing of figuring out to whom or to what he is most committed. It is a lot to think about and it is a big question whether he will permit God to be born, whether he will stay in the midst of it all and give his thus far untarnished name to a scandalous child. 
That Joseph says yes might be the biggest miracle recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. It is certainly the biggest miracle that you or I have access to. Because this is the uncomfortable truth this Advent. God is always coming to us in ways that allow for us to turn him down. We want Christmas and life to be the way we remember it. With the right color lights and the right carols, we would like it the way it has always been, please. And there's so much on our plates. Please, don't change one more thing. There are presents to purchase and packages to wrap. There's turkey or tofu to be cooked or reservations to be made. There's family to gather, airline tickets to buy. There is a lot going on, and it's not done yet. And right in the middle of it all comes this question to each and every one of us. Will you give your name to God's latest idea? Will you permit God to be born? Because that is still God's intention, to be born, to be born among us, to be Emmanuel again today. That is the most sacred tradition of all. The tradition of a God who shows up and invites us into something new, something utterly unexpected, but something that can save us all if we let it. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took Mary as his wife, but had no relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
please remain standing and join me in our affirmation of faith as printed in your bulletin. And so we say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let us center our hearts in prayer. God of love, grace dawned this morning, streaking our bleary eyes with bright rays of beauty and goodness. Peace clung to our bodies so that we could get out of bed. Hope filled our hearts as we saw our loved ones, neighbors, and friends. Joy sang us awake with carols of wonder and awe. Love called us to this place. For it's in this place where we wait for the coming of Christ, and we wait as a community. And so it's in this community that we have the opportunity to welcome the stranger, lift up the lowly, feed the hungry, and love the other. It's in this community that we have the opportunity to listen for your spirit and move as it tugs at our heartstrings. It's in this community that we can love without judgment, celebrate peace without pushback, and long for hope without pessimism. Goodness and grace are what make up this community. May we always uphold it, even after Advent and Christmas. O come, O come, Emmanuel, come and save your people. May that goodness and grace, peace and hope, joy and love spread beyond these walls and into a world of your making, O God. Dynamics and tensions swirl among your people, creating divisions and hate. May we always, always reach across and around your creation, extending all that you have to offer above the division and hate. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Come and save your people. Your light shines in the darkness, O God. We know this is true even when we don't want to hear it. And so may your tender light shine on those we love, those who are rejoicing, and those we know who are weeping. May your light cradle and care for them a little extra this year because for some the light has gone out. And so shine an extra bright light this season for the grieving families of Tessa Majors, Paul Volker, Elaine Heckman, Brent Hill, Jessica Revley, and Crescentiana Catalan. We hold close to our hearts and extend a hopeful spirit to all those who are hospitalized or in rehab, such as Marjorie Norris, Francis Dawson, 
Luis Rodriguez. And so, loving God, in the days to come, both before and after Christmas, may those in pain, discomfort, distress, homebound, homeless, held back, or merely struggling to get out of bed, find some sort of hope, some sort of strength, and most importantly, the recognition that they are loved. O come, O come, Emmanuel, come and save your people. Amen. In response to God's love, let us offer our gifts to the church and the world.
friends, in this season, we cannot come to the table without also noticing these candles. These candles that remind us of hope and peace and joy and love. All things that we are waiting for. All things that are drawing ever closer. But all things that we taste and see and touch in part at this table each and every week. So come to this table, you who have much faith and you who would like to have more faith. Come to this table, you who know what it is to run, to walk, and to fly. And come to this table, you who know what it is to stumble. Come to this table, you who understand all of our vocabulary and tradition. And come to this table, you who still find it a bit unusual. Come to this table, you who hunger and thirst for a better life and a fairer world. And come to this table, you who are simply seeking a place to rest. For this is the Lord's table. He is the one who invites you, which means it won't be the same without you. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let us pray. It is truly right and our greatest joy to give you thanks and praise, almighty and merciful God. You have been with your people in one way or another from the beginning, through your word that called creation into being, in the pillars of cloud and fire that led Israel through the wilderness, in your holy temple, through the words and cries of the prophets, And in Jesus, born of Mary and promised in a dream to Joseph to be our Emmanuel, God with us. You are still God with us through your Holy Spirit, guiding us, giving us hope, and strengthening us to follow you, even when your call seems impossible. Trusting in your never-failing presence, we praise you, joining our voices with the choirs of heaven and with all the faithful of every time and place who forever sing to the glory of your name. You are holy, O God of majesty, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son. You sent him into this world to bring freedom to the captives of sin and to establish justice for the oppressed. He came among us as one of us, taking the lot of the poor. 
sharing human suffering, dying an unjust death. We rejoice that in his dying and rising again, you set before us the sure promise of new life, the certain hope of a heavenly home where we will sit at table with Christ our host. Remembering your gracious acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine and joyfully celebrate his dying and rising as we await the day of his coming to make all things new. With grateful hearts, we offer ourselves to you as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon us and upon these your gifts of bread and wine, that the bread we break and the cup we bless may be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ and one with all who share this feast, united in ministry in every place. As this bread is Christ's body for us, send us out to be the body of Christ in the world. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. As our Savior taught, so now we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night of his arrest, the Lord Jesus took bread. Having given thanks to God, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this as my remembrance. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant, sealed in my blood, poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this as often as you drink it as my remembrance. The Apostle Paul tells us that every time we eat this bread and share this cup, We proclaim the saving death of our risen Lord until he comes again. These are holy things to make us holy, the gifts of God for the people of God. Let us keep the feast.
Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for the gifts of this table and for those with whom we share them. May they fill us with all of your grace and all of your truth, all of your wisdom and all of your strength, until such a time as we gather here again. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. 